What's up, Stitches? Welcome to episode 15 of season 3 of So What? with the girl who is here to bring historic needlework goodness to your ears, Isabella Rosner. It's the second to last episode of the season! My, my, how time has flown. Started in September and now we're here in the cold depths of winter, at least here in the Western Hemisphere. Today's episode is the last of the mini-episodes, each one focusing on a continent. Today's episode focuses not exactly on a continent, but on a region, one that I have barely touched on the podcast thus far, and that is Oceania. Delight and joy! For those of you who don't know, Oceania includes 14 countries, which are Australia, Papua New Guinea, New Zealand, Fiji, Solomon Islands, Micronesia, Vanuatu, Samoa, Kiribati, Tonga, Marshall Islands, Palau, Tuvalu, and Nauru. So today we are focusing on the traditional textiles of the Maori people of New Zealand called Aotearoa in Maori. We're going to move from needles to fingers to focus on hand weaving. Heck yeah, right? I think so. And because we are nearing the end of the season, at the end of this episode, I'll explain what will happen to the podcast after the season ends. So let's dive in, shall we? Here we go. If you know me and this podcast, you know that before we really dive in, we gotta talk social media. Images of what I discuss in today's episode, as well as the sources I used to write it, are on the podcast's various social media accounts at So What Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If social media is not the one for you, we also have a website, sowhatpodcast.com, which also has all the good, good images and sources. You're going to really want to see images of what I talk about, as there are lots of words that are likely new to most of you, and it'll help to see what it is I'm speaking of. Okay, now let's actually get into it. Here's how this episode will go. I'll first start with a brief history of Maori weaving. Then I'll get into the types of weaving and the designs within them, and finally the various techniques and dye colors. Before that, though, we'd probably all benefit from going over some terminology. I will say that I will, unfortunately, likely do a very poor job of pronouncing Maori words. Google Translate does not have voice output for Maori, and I haven't been able to find voice recordings for some words, but I'm going to try my best, and I apologize in advance. Okay, so here's some words. Kakahu means cloaks or garments, and the main fiber used to weave Maori garments is called muka, M-U-K-A, and it's made from a plant called harakeke, which is also called New Zealand flax. There's quite a bit of terminology when it comes to the different types of weaving, but we'll go through those terms once we get to that section. Note that Maori weaving techniques are used to craft things like cloaks, mats, baskets, bags, panels used in architecture, fishing nets, food storage containers, and a lot of other stuff. Also, one more thing before we discuss the history. Let's go through the types of garments, focusing on the many types of cloak. There are roughly two types of garment shapes going on, one that goes around the waist and hangs down like a kilt, and one that is worn over the shoulders like a cape or cloak. There are a lot of different garments, so I'll provide you fine folks with a non-exhaustive list, because if I went through every example, we'd be here for a long time. There is the pake or hieke, which is a rain cloak used to protect one from the cold and rainy New Zealand winter. 
It's made from layer upon layer of hookah hookah flax fiber tassels, which are attached to a woven foundation. The pake predates European contact. The piu piu, on the other hand, came to prominence after Europeans came to the island. Piu piu is a skirt made of dried flax leaves. It's worn by both sexes, and it is part of the costume for kapahaka, which is the term for Maori action songs and the groups who perform them. There's a whole slew of cloak styles differentiated by the material used. Some are made of plants, some animal skins, and some feathers. Now, finally, time to get into the history, the origins of Maori weaving. When the Maori's Polynesian ancestors arrived in Aotearoa, New Zealand, they found that Aote, and that's spelled A-U-T-E, the plant used to make cloth on Pacific Islands, didn't grow so well in New Zealand's cooler climate. They instead looked to flax and built a rich culture around it. Leaves were cut off the hara keke, or New Zealand flax, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, leaving its center shoot. That center shoot was then stripped to extract muka, or fiber. The fiber was washed and beaten with a stone, and then hand-rolled into threads, which were then dyed yellow, red-brown, or black. Maori weavers also used other plants, such as the pingao, kie kie, and kakaho. According to Te Ara, the Encyclopedia of New Zealand, quote, the closest endemic species to Aote was the hauhai, wauwai, or hauhere, hire, I'm not sure, h-o-u-h-e-r-e. Those are regional names for ribbon wood or lace bark. It was probably used in early attempts to make bark cloth, but eventually long, thin strips of inner bark were used in some regions to make flexible skirts or capes. For most clothing purposes, the new settlers adapted their existing technologies to semi-familiar plants with leaves that could be used in the same ways as tropical palms. Leaves were split into strips to be plaited, or mussel shells were used to strip out the fiber. These strong fibers were called muka, or witao, according to the region. These plants included the harakeke, New Zealand flax, kie kie, a climbing vine, tikauka, or wanake, cabbage trees, toy, mountain cabbage tree, pingao, golden sand sedge, warawara, kawarawara, astelia species, and various grasses. Some supplied fiber, others were used for plaiting or interweaving, and some for both. But the variety of harakeke species became the primary choice. End quote. Maori weaving was historically and is still presently mostly done by women, and these women were taught their skills in a building called Tewarepora, meaning the house of weaving. Hinete Waiwa is the principal goddess of Te Warepora, and she represents arts pursued by women. She's known in both Polynesia and New Zealand. According to Te Papa Tongarua, the Museum of New Zealand, quote, Te Warepora, the house of weaving, has been described as a state of being as well as a place. Weavers who were initiated into this house had their levels of consciousness raised to be in a state of optimum readiness to receive knowledge. This was achieved through karakia, ritual prayer. It was believed that the karakia endowed the student with a receptive mind and retentive memory. They would become possessed with quick understanding and a thirst for deeper knowledge. 
Initiated weavers became dedicated to the pursuit of a complete knowledge of weaving, including spiritual concepts. Very few weavers today experience this initiation ceremony. The practice was discouraged by missionaries who considered it anti-Christian, end quote. And read that last sentence, who is disappointed but not surprised? I know I am. Yikes. So, what happened to Maori weaving since New Zealand's European colonization? According to the Wikipedia article titled Maori Traditional Textiles, quote, traditional Maori weaving was maintained during colonization. However, European materials were utilized and adapted for use in traditional weaving, meaning many traditional techniques for processing native fibers were in decline during the early 20th century. The craft suffered during urbanization that occurred in the 1950s when Maori migrated from Mare-based rural areas, Mare being a communal or sacred place, to cities. However, it was through the efforts of a few Maori women and the Maori Women's Welfare League that the arts of weaving and knowledge from Tewarapora were preserved and widely passed on when the League began offering weaving classes. This included expertise being taught across iwi, or tribes, and hapu, or sub-tribes, boundaries, and taught in both a traditional way and also in training courses. A national weaving school was set up in 1969, which contributed to the weaving revival, and there have been a handful of important exhibitions of weaving work that have profiled the skill, cultural importance, and artistry of Maori weavers. These efforts that started with notable weavers such as Rangi Mari Hetet, Digores Te Kanawa, and Kath Brown continued through the 1980s and became part of the Maori Renaissance. Te Rupu Raranga Watu o Aotearoa, the National New Zealand Collective for Traditional Weavers, was established in 1983, which organizes national hui, gatherings or meetings, and regional workshops to promote traditional weaving, end quote. Now, on to weaving techniques. We love weaving and we love techniques. Yes! Maori weaving does not involve a loom and shuttle. It instead involves watu, a system of finger weaving. According to the Love of My Life Wikipedia, quote, a strong thread is fastened tautly in a horizontal position between two or four upright weaving sticks, turu turu. To this thread, tawiu, are attached the upper threads of the warp or vertical threads, io. The warp is arranged close together. The weaving process consisted of working in cross threads from left to right. The closer these threads are together, the tighter the weave and the finer the garment." End quote. Watu, which is W-H-A-T-U, is known as the cloak weave and it's used to produce fabric. While some cloaks were made using watu, others were made of dog skin, woolen pom-poms or tags, or bird feathers. One form of watu is taniko. T-A-N-I-K-O, which refers to any type of ornamental border found on garments like bodices, headbands, and armbands. Taniko patterns are really geometric because, essentially, the base form of any design is a square. These squares are repeated on a lattice framework in a variety of colors and create diamond and triangle shapes. After Europeans arrived, Maori included wool, silk, and cotton fibers in their taniko. Within Taniko, there are specific designs. These include patiki designs, which are based on flounders, the fish, and which result in lozenge or diamond shapes. 
The cow-cow pattern is formed by zigzag lines that create chevrons. The niho-taniwa pattern is like a notched tooth design. The pau-tama pattern is a stepped design that signifies the growth of man. Tahe-keheke patterns are striped. Roimata patterns are teardrop-shaped. And wetu are star-shaped. As you can see, a heck of a lot of patterns can be made from the same basic unit, a tiny square. Maori also use weaving techniques to create home goods and smaller scale objects. There's wariki, which is a braiding technique used to make floor mats, and raranga, a weaving style used for food baskets, bags, and other small objects. There's also weary, which covers a whole slew of forms of braiding used to make waist girdles, headbands, and other things that are like flat strips. It basically makes cord. And while we're here, I also want to briefly talk about the colors used to dye muka, the fiber gathered from New Zealand flax, because this episode has probably given you a good sense of the texture of these flaxen garments and objects, but not their appearance in full living color. Muka is, as I'm sure you have guessed, dyed with natural materials indigenous to the island. Paru, which is mud high in iron salts, creates black dye. The bark of the rarikau tree makes yellow dye, and the bark of the tanakaha tree makes tan dye. The colors are set by rolling the dyed muka fibers in alum, which is a chemical compound that's kind of like salt, from my understanding. Don't ask me, I'm not a scientist, I don't know anything about that. So yes, there you have it, Maori weaving. We've talked about its history, techniques, designs, and colors. A treat, a delight. I hope you think so too. I know that this mini episode focuses on fingers rather than needles, so it's not really needlework, but I think it's a lovely counter to the shuttle weaving episodes we've had both this season and in past seasons. Something that really excites me about Maori weaving is that it involves essentially the same basic plant, flax, that I have focused on in the vast majority of episodes in this podcast series. Even if I haven't said the word flax or its product linen, it's the material I'm referencing when I talk about everything from schoolgirl samplers to boro and sashiko. It's ubiquitous in European stitching culture. But here we have the same base plant, flax, used in an entirely different way. A highly similar fiber is treated and handled in a completely distinctive way, which speaks to not only the power of the natural sources of the fibers that make up so many of our textiles, but also to the ingenuity of people. Different communities came to a very similar plant and utilized it in very different ways. And what we get is the power of material and the power of people. Delight, right? Yes. And now, on a different note, before I leave you this week, I gotta talk about what's next for So What. This season will be the last official season of So What, but fear not, the pod is not ending. This is just the end of large-scale, many months-long seasons. After all, I do have a PhD to complete. (laughs) It's a nervous laugh. It's not a fun laugh. And while I very much love writing, producing, directing, and hosting this podcast, it is a hefty time commitment. 62 total episodes in under two years is a lot for one gal. So what comes next is one-off episodes every few weeks or every few months. They won't be on a schedule. Rather, they will come out whenever I've interviewed a fabulous needlework person or when I have the burning desire to share some historic needlework goodness with you, which I'm sure will be often. Even though there won't be any more full seasons, I will still be very active on these So What social media pages and on the website. 
Because there will be no more full seasons, I will be ending the podcast's Patreon, as the generosity of patrons means that I have been able to save up the funds to keep the podcast on its podcasting platform for a good long time, and I don't want to make money from folks when I'm not producing podcasts on a regular schedule. So yeah, in short, there will be more So What once this season ends, there just won't be episodes released as regularly and frequently. But I cannot give this wee baby podcast up, so she's here to stay, and hopefully the random out-of-the-blue episodes will be sweet surprises every time they land in your podcast app of choice. And on that note, I'll say peace out for this episode, thank you for listening, I will see you next week for the final episode of the season. Now go out and stitch some stories and go weave with your fingers. Bye! (laughs) Bye!